It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long. And you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. Welcome to a very special New Year's episode of the Novice Elitist Film Podcast. I'm doing this little introduction here because I feel like we need to explain ourselves a little bit with this episode. So we had originally intended for our New Year's special to be a scene-by-scene review of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which you'll hear a very heavily edited version of that podcast for the first 30-35 minutes of this episode. But due to some time constraints in the preparation stage for this episode, we both just felt pretty unhappy with how our overall coverage was going and so the material in this final edit was the best that I managed to edit out of that kind of just glob of not really finely tuned stew and so you'll hear some of it here still and you might be surprised when we turn around and say that it's just not working and we kind of abandon it but believe me it was it was not working <laughs> but um what it turns into after the Caligari section you'll just have to listen to the episode to find out But have no fear, friends, because I've already started prep for a silent film retrospective that we have planned for 2021, so we will return to the world of Caligari and cover the film properly sometime in the near future. But until then, come on down to the Novice Leaders Speakeasy, share a drink or two with us, we hope you have a safe and happy new year, and don't forget to spill a couple drops for the many greatly cherished people who won't be able to see 2021 with us. Cheers everyone, and enjoy the show, and have a happy new year. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Teeny Speakeasy. Uh, today on the show, we're going to be doing something kind of experimental. We, we've been planning to do this one for a while. So we, we wanted to do a New Year's Eve special for the show, and we thought it might be a fun thing to do to look back 100 years in the past to the early dawn of cinema by picking a film from 1920. But I say experiment because we didn't really have, or at least I didn't have the time to prepare for this episode as much as I would have liked so basically we're saying this was supposed to be a scene by scene eventually yes and it's now just a discussion yeah probably going to be a bit of a sloppy discussion but i still had the time actually i wrote all these other notes about a month ago but i went through a whole bunch of facts about 1920 and so i'm going to be sprinkling those into this discussion but otherwise the discussion might be a little bit haphazard <laughs> yeah I'd say what parts of 2020 because there's a lot of parts of 2020 what parts of 1920 because you know oh a a fuck ton okay well like part of fiji's uh history of 2020 not not fiji i forgot about fiji i guess i could look something up but zimbabwe of 1920 (laughs) uh not zimbabwe no either papua new guinea of 1920 nope what was the fashion choice of peru in 1920 no clue 
Okay, well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> you also forgot those in between, by the way, in the beginning. Those in between. Well, you know, I guess I could edit that in there. Yeah, saying those in between is a little bit clunky, you know. Of course it is, but, you know, we got to remember that there are those who are in between of, of those two binary options. Well, I guess that's fair. Uh, but I guess to start this discussion here... I guess we, the first thing we could look at is silent film overall and kind of our uh, experience with it. Go ahead. So silent silent film is definitely one of the areas that I've explored the least when it comes to film. I've seen Nosferatu. I saw that many years ago in one of my 50 horror movie packs. Fritz Lang's Metropolis was in there. I saw that. And I saw two of the early Hitchcock silent films. I think it was uh, Juno and Peacock, I think it was called, and The Lodger. But otherwise, I'd only really seen Cabinet Dr. Caligari, The Golem, and um, City Lights. I think that's, I think those are all the silent films I've ever seen. So, very, very little experience. Yeah, you're. I think I have less than you. However, I've seen videos of people talk about silent films, but not as a main topic of discussion. There's certain examples for points to talk about. So it was, it was kind of a challenge coming back to this one because I was like silent film such a but just very very different from almost any other type of film oh oh I, I forgot about one there was one other silent film that I saw one that was not up to my uh, uh, taste at all <laughs> the first Orson Welles film I think it was called something about Johnson and it was a silent film where I just had no clue what was going on for almost all of it it was just again silent films can be very strange uh, like, like this film here is very strange, but <laughs> that one in particular. Even in my first watch, I kind of figured what was going on until the end. And what I, the only confusion was, of course, the broken subtitles. Yeah, that's that's right. Do you want to explain that bit there? <laughs> I guess we're leading into it, yes, Joe. <laughs> the link this guy sent me, wonderful picture. Like the, like, I mean, like the picture itself was clear, crystal clear. It was widescreen, so I could see everything. The second time I watched it was people were cutting into the edges of the screen, so that time was, the, the second watch was bad for picture-wise, but I could understand all the English, because your, the link he sends me doesn't give me English? I think it actually gave, no, it was an Italian link. That's what it was. It was Italian link, so it was speaking in Italian, so I had to hit the auto-generate subtitles on YouTube, oh. and that's <laughs> just playing with dice. That's just rolling, a, r- taking a chance. And that was a big mistake. So I, today, like the reason tonight I actually rewatched the film again. I, I even said I wanted to rewatch the film anyways uh, to get a second viewing of it, and it was much better. I, I I found a link that actually had perfect English, or yeah, perfect English air quotes. And boy, the film, at least the beginning part, made a lot more sense, like I said. But the end part I got, I kind of... It's funny that this film is basically what Eric, and not Eric Holden from Geekvolution, but Eric we just had on in our most recent Godzilla commentary. It was his uh, take on what the end of the lighthouse meant. Oh, interesting. I haven't edited any of that stuff, so I don't remember what he said there. (laughs) But it's also what everybody nowadays with, with psychological thrillers or art movies always give. It's, it's all in their head. Yes, and we're definitely going to have to talk about that because that's a trope that I often very much dislike. And we'll have to see how it plays in this film and what we 
think of it. Uh, but I, we'll, we'll hold off for that one. We will hold off on that. That is fair. Let's continue on, sir. You're on point. Yeah, and first, I'm going to, before we even really jump into the film, I just want to take a little, little bit of a look at global affairs in 1920. But so it's two years after the First World War. Um, I don't know how to say this name. I'm, I'm so bad at these things. But the Treaty of Versailles, I think Treaty it was. Treaty of Versailles. Yeah. It didn't come into effect until this year, 1920. And although the terror of World War One, as well as the whole Spanish flu thing, had ended by the time we get to 1920, it was still a very turbulent year in many parts of the globe. The world was changing real quick. America was on the brink of exploding into a brief one of huge prosperity. We all know the Roaring Twenties. But at least over in Germany, things were not going so well at all. The Treaty of Versailles left Germany in a terrible state of financial distress as they had to pay back a lot of the fucking damage that they caused <laughs> during World War I. And it just kind of crippled the country and uh, really started up the rumblings of World War II with how uh, distressed and unhappy people were. Oh, and by the way, uh, the Nazi party was founded in 1920. Oh, so. lovely. Yeah. Yeah, any... Unfortunately, somebody had to take the blame. Somebody had to put all the... Just take all the faults, and everybody just agreed it's Germany. Well, I mean, in in many ways, Germany was the kind of powder keg that blew it all up into the giant war that it was, so... It wasn't just them, from what I've read. Oh, certainly. But... It was certainly just a, a bunch of things building up. It was just Germany was the one that sparked the fire that blew it all up. The arch, the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand didn't help anything. Well, of course, that's really what sparked the whole war. But, but, <laughs> but, um, despite those kind of turbulent times in terms of you know financial distress for the populace, a German film had really just blown up in 1920. During the whole World War One, Germany had kind of put a, put a ban on any imports of films, and they were only doing propaganda films for, or at least that was like the main thing that they were doing is just pushing propaganda and not letting any sort of foreign entertainment in. But once World War One ended, Germany was kind of like, okay, well, well, we're gonna you know branch out. We're really gonna put more financing into film and kind of try to put film out there to try to get back our reputation globally, or at least in Europe. I don't really know if they cared about the rest of the globe. And so, in order to do that, they really tried to branch out and doing some kind of big epic films, or in the case of Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, expressionist films. So, I mean, that's a little bit of the backdrop for Germany here. That's one of my, the first facts I'll break out. I got a whole bunch of random other ones from all over the globe, so. <laughs> Avant-garde films, as they say. Yes. But, um, so should we... Did, you were saying that you wanted to do a little bit of run through the plot for the film, a little summary. We we were gonna do a how we felt about like have the the sign the the signs and the flip. I mean, and the the best thing, worst thing. The best I could just say is I'm feeling it. Oh yeah, definitely feeling it. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything for the only thing I could say is, wow, I could see where Tim Burton got his ideas for Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, yeah. And The Corpse Bride, I think, had a lot of influence from this. Edward Scissorhands had a lot of influence from this. Yep. Definitely a huge fan of, of this film. Yeah, I, I was trying to think of a lot of other influences that I could think of that I could see directly lifting from this. Um, I remember there was like a Rob Zombie music video that I think was basically like his 
adaptation of this. I don't remember what the thing was called. I should have looked that up. Remember which song? Yeah, it, it might have been Living Dead Girl. I, oh, yeah, it was Living Dead Girl. Yeah, I used to be a giant fan of Rob Zombie before he became a director. So I, I loved all of his music videos and uh, <laughs> not so much a fan of him as a director now. But, but yeah, definitely a very influential film. So I guess if we're going to do a little bit of a summary, I actually wrote a kind of a probably too big of one that runs through the whole plot. <laughs> hey, man, we got plenty of time. Sure. So yeah, I guess just to run through it. So The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is a film told in retrospect by a character named Francis, uh, played by Frederick Fayer. Again, I, I am not good at these names. And the tale he spins begins with he and his friend Alan attending a sort of sideshow spectacle run by a rather grim-looking old man who goes by the name of Dr. Caligari, played by Verna Krauss. And his exhibition centers around a sort of slave-like oracle named Cesare, who foretells that Alan will only live until the break of dawn. And his fortune very quickly comes true when Alan turns up the victim of a homicide, and Francis becomes obsessed with proving that the Sonambulus is the source of the murder. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to talk about that term because they use it all the time in this movie, and I don't really, I don't really think it relates to the definition, at least that I got from that word. So Francis attempts at investigating the whole uh, murder thing, but bears no fruit. But in the effort, Francis finds himself on the bad side of that dastardly Caligari. And meanwhile, due to a confluence of circumstances that I don't fully grasp, Francis's fiance Jane, played by Lil Dagover, kind of weird name becomes the next victim of Caligari's murderous instincts. He sends his Sonambulist slave out to do the dirty work, whilst he sits at home with his puppet version of him to throw up suspicion, because Franz has taken it upon himself to stake out his place now. But at this time, Chessery fights back against the command to kill her, and instead kidnaps Jane for himself. His attempts fail, and Jane fingers him as her attacker, thus thwarting Caligari's scheme. Caligari heads for the hills, and Francis chases him back to an insane asylum, and here's where things start to get real twisty and weird. It turns out that Caligari is actually the director of the asylum. Francis teams up with the rest of the staff there, and they sift through Caligari's various reading materials and discover that their doctor was a bit of a loony bin gym and was actually basing his whole Cabinet of Dr. Caligari scheme off an 18th century tale of a mysterious doctor and his sonambulist slave. Um, his obsession with the psychiatric mystery of the story leads him to become Caligari, which has a, there's that great scene where he's just being chased around by all the letters and stuff. I really love that scene. Chessere is found asleep and is brought to confront the doctor and Mr. Director unmasks himself and goes into a violent rage and is eventually locked away in the asylum. And this is when we turn once again and we find out that Francis is also not really quite who he was presenting himself to be. He's hanging out at the asylum and that's where he's telling his story. But oddly, Jane is there as well as is Cesare. And who else is there but the director himself? Except this time he doesn't look like Caligari and just looks like a normal dude. And we find out that Francis is actually insane and the whole story was just, I guess, just made up ramblings. And uh, the director figures out that he thinks that I'm Caligari and so now I know how to cure him and that's how we end the movie. So there, there's a little summary. It was a little bit longer than, than I had originally intended when I started writing it, but... It's also because I needed to look up... I have to... Yeah, that too. I had to look <laughs> up uh, Sonambulus because with the auto-generated subtitles from the one I watched last night, instead of Sonambulus, they gave me Sleepwalker. Mm-hmm. 
But in tonight's version, they said Synambulus, but they did mention Sleepwalker once. Yeah, and that's the weird thing, because poor Cesare, I... I... Cesare. Cesare, there you go. Yeah, I mean, he's is he really a sleepwalker? I mean, he's, like, asleep always. Like, he's in, like, a constant coma. Are we talking within this memory, not memory, but this, this lie, or in reality? Yeah, basically, anytime we refer to all this stuff, we'll just be talking to it in the reality that it's in. We could talk about what it means to the Francis character, because that's a curious question that I still have, but at least in terms of the story itself, we'll kind of refer to it just in that way. Yeah, I pictured a completely different movie when I first heard the name of the title. I thought it was some sort of cabal and a group of individuals, and I didn't expect this. I could have never expected this. I just assumed it was, I don't know, something more... I mean, it, this is sinister. I can't, I can't say that, but I was expecting something more. But what I got is not, is not disappointing me. I'll say that. Hmm. It is certainly... I, I'm, I'm very shocked at what this was, but I am not disappointed. Sure. Let, let me be frank about that. But anyway, with, with Cesare, what is, what is his role in all that? Yeah, what, sorry, what was your qu- original question? I was, I, my question was kind of an empty one. I was just wonder why they were using the term Sinambulus when he's not really a... I guess he's kind of a sleepwalker, uh, but <laughs> he seemed like he had a different kind of condition that he was suffering from. I mean, I kind of wondered if it was a lie. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I mean, I mean, yeah, the whole story ultimately at the end we find out is just kind of made up from that guy, I guess, but... When they bring him in to uh, see the director, they're like, oh, we found the Sonambulist guy. And he's like, oh, my God, I can't wait to start my scheme. Let me see. Cambridge English University. We have a person who suffers from Sonambulism, a condition in which a person walks around while they are asleep. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So not, synonyms, sleepwalker, see Sonambulism. Okay, let's, we're, do, we're doing this live. We're doing this all together. A situation in which a person walks around while they are sleeping. Okay, so this is a real thing. I mean, maybe in the movie the term doesn't make much sense for what they're referring to, but perhaps they could more have been using it as, like, maybe a metaphorical sense. Yeah, a metaphorical term. It's a cool name. Like, or a cool name. It's a cool word. Synambulism. How often do you hear that? Yeah, like, I'd never heard of it before I saw this film the first time. Everyone's heard of sleepwalking, but the correct air quotes term is synambulism. Yeah, but I was just, now my brain's kind of sparking off. Because I know what the writers behind this film were saying, that they were kind of influenced by the war. I'm not sure if it was World War One or some other war, but that they'd had a really big kind of anti-authority streak in making this film. And so, I don't know, maybe the whole sleepwalker thing is meant to mean something else. So that's, that's another thing I was trying to figure out, is what they were trying to say with the whole story of it. Because I, I, once once you get to the end and it all turns out to be a dream, that's when it all kind of gets thrown into the... I don't know what they're trying to say with that, but just the element of this crazed doctor trying to um, control this guy and turn him into his uh, tool for murder, you could see as a metaphor for a soldier. Yeah, yeah, I guess I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, again, I, I barely prepped for this. I'm, I'm It's going to be a big jumble of thoughts, but I was just trying to think... Because it's, it's such a weird thing. They always they keep referring to him as Sinambulus the whole time. And I was like, uh, the first time I saw it, I had no clue what that meant. I didn't even look it up until after the movie was done. The um, 
This is a movie you guys have to watch multiple times, and I even said I need to sit down and watch this movie for a very, very long time. I even want to do a watch where I just listen to the music. But I'm going to have to do that after, like, watch 15. Yeah, some really stunning music in this. I didn't even see my notes. I, did, I barely did any research. I didn't even look up who did the music for this. Oh, if only I had more time. I apologize, everyone. Right now, I'm currently in the process of moving and buying a place, and so our podcasts are probably going to be a little bit more scattered from, from this point on until all this is over, but... There will be meat left over, as they say. Well, I, I don't have so much... I, do, I probably do have stuff, but unfortunately, I do have a story about a sleepwalker in my life. Oh, go ahead. It's very personal, but my one of my babysitters when I was a kid... Her boyfriend came over. Salt of the earth, great man, very fun with, good with kids. He was, he was an enjoyable man. He suffered from sleepwalking as well, and would actually work out when asleep. Oh, and that's highly dangerous. So yeah, yikes. He would always have to have his door locked, and or, and or be on his meds because I believe there is medication for sleepwalking. I could, I apologize to all sleepwalkers. I I could be wrong there. Yeah, I've got no clue. But anyways, one day his parents went away and I guess forgot to lock his door and he went to do some bench pressing and I don't know how much weight there was on there, but it was obviously more than his un unconscious body could take. And it landed on his neck. The bar did, excuse me. Yikes, that's, that's horrible. And he, he died. Wow. And I was, my babysitter found out uh, when she was babysitting us, and it was it was horrible. Oh, I couldn't imagine that. Wow. Yeah, stupid me was playing Lego Star Wars two on my Game Boy. So, hey, I mean, you're a kid, you know, you didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I yeah, I just knew she was in absolute, you know, tears. Yeah, horrible distress. I'm sure. Yikes. I guess the only like. I do have not in my hands, but it's in my it's in my drawer. I found my I found his his bulletin, not bulletin, but uh, the card, not the card. The, I guess it is the pamphlet at his funeral. Pardon me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I found that uh, a few years ago, and it is now within my cab in my drawer. So I have something to remember him by. Thanks. What a downer. <laughs> yeah, if you all get yourself checked out and. Handcuff yourself to your 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 beds every night. That's probably not how it works. Just go see a sleep specialist or a doctor, please. You're not crazy. You're just you just have something that can be controlled. But on that down note, there we'll uh, jump back into the facts about 1920 again. Hundred years in the past from from this year, which is kind of a crazy thing. Watching this film, thinking about hundred years in the past. But um. Looking a little bit into German history, this time looking at Canadian history, uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police was founded in 1920. It was. Over in winter sports for the Olympics, hockey and winter sports entered the Olympic field. Our Canadian team, the Winnipeg Falcons, won us the first gold medal in hockey. That makes sense. Yeah, we also won two more that year, one for boxing and one for athletics. Oh, we won for boxing, eh? Yep, yep. 100 years in the past. Happen to know who the boxer was? Nope. <laughs> Fair enough. And who he won against? Nope. 
Hey, I'm not saying I did a great amount of research. I just looked up a whole bunch of random shit. <laughs> Fair enough. And what was the other one again? Oh, athletics, they said. Uh, that's, oh, yeah. Oh, is that like a decathlon? Yeah, athletics is weird. I think it counts, yeah, for running, I think. Or, no, maybe not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I was trying to look up what they meant by that, but I, I didn't quite figure it out. But no, but I guess we'll, we'll do one more before, because I was just looking at this one. So over in the U.S., a whole bunch of random shit happened in 1920. Um, number one, the suffragette movement reached its crescendo. As the 19th Amendment was officially ratified, federally guaranteeing the right for women to, or at least white women, to vote. Something that wouldn't happen federally in Canada until 1940, yep. uh, much to our shame. But there were, there, there, part, pardon me for a term, but there were uh, suffraging movements around here as well, if I recall. Oh yeah, what I was going to say was, uh, the only reason that we held off federally until 1940 is because Quebec, after every other province had allowed it they held off for 18 years for allowing it so really uh <laughs> okay well that's quebec's <laughs> idea right there or not so, so the whole country you're saying the whole country was in favor of it but one province was like nope yeah pretty much pretty okay much. just just to reiterate <laughs> one out of the oh crap <laughs> 10 provinces oh, i, I think by that by, point and one point. territory no, 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 sorry, nine, 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 nine provinces. Newfoundland wasn't until 1945. Yes, yeah, that, sound, that sounds about right. I don't know if it's 45, but around and there. And it's funny how none of it was only, as of 1999, none of it was a joint confederation as a territory. Yeah, that is weird. That's weird. Uh, but an important footnote for that being, um, in both cases, people of color did not get the same rights to vote for uh, many more decades, so... Many peoples of color didn't even get that choice or option. Yeah, and I'll throw one more just because just cause we're still in the States. Yeah, uh, Prohibition actually started in 1919. So if you lived in the States 100 years ago, you wouldn't be able to drink alcohol uh, without being without going to jail. So think about that for all you people who are against the uh, legalizing drugs. How absurd that is. Yeah, could you imagine Prohibition today, especially this year? Yeah, oh, God. There would have been literal rights yeah and you're you're pushing me i almost want to keep, keep going, going on this united going, states just, thing because there are a number okay so uh in the united states 1920 in many many ways resembled um 2020 oh um so at the time you know world war one had just ended right over in russia lenin's red army was sweeping the country and communism was winning the day so over in america land a lot of people were feeling pretty rough about Russia's part in World War One, and so um, a new Cold War, or I guess the first Cold War, I should say, uh, began. And um, <laughs> crap. Yeah. So then President Woodrow Wilson had a pretty deranged Attorney General at the time, a Michael Palmer, and Palmer had got it in his mind that the Russians were just about to attack the United States, that they were going to infiltrate and take over. Does that remind anybody of the recent Russiagate scandal? And so he was so convinced the communists were invading that he was doing raids all over the country, breaking into homes, showing up and doing raids in stores, and locking up people all over the place. So there was riots covering the country, states filled with people in the streets protesting to try to get him out of there. Again, remind you of anything? <laughs> Does it make McCarthy look like a, a, a twerp? 
Uh, it sure sounded like it from the research I did. I apologies. I shouldn't, you know, downplay what McCarthy did when he was like, oh yeah, the Reds are invading in the 1950s. Yeah, well, but that's we'll a whole other that. decade in and of itself. Uh, actually, one quick thing, if you don't mind. Sure. It's just relating to Russia, or at least, sorry, communism and whatnot. Apparently, in 1921, the Communist Party of BC was established. Oh, wow. I should have saved that one for next year. I probably should have, but that was, yeah, it, I don't know if I was going to have a chance. I'll bring it up next year, I guess. But there you go. There you go. It's only because I found that out because we just had our recent provincial election. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, and one of the one of the parties here in Wally, or Wally series, excuse me, was uh, the the Columbia, Communist Party of BC. Yeah, a party with no real, uh, it's not going anywhere. Hey man, 99 years. I'll give them that. They outlived communism. That's all I'm going to say. Or the so- Soviet Union, excuse me. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Sorry. All right. Continue, please. Oh, but but so again, very similar to 2020, riots all over the country. The country is on fire. And so to protect its citizens, the American Civil Liberties Union was created. Another uh, organization founded in 1920. But the first Red Scare also came to an end in 1920 because Palmer put his reputation that there was going to be a large-scale attack on May Day of that year. And the day came and went with no attack, and so Palmer's credibility just shot through the floor and he was basically driven out of office because of his delusions, basically. <laughs> the boy who cried wolf. Yep, the boy who probably should have gone to jail for a long time, but I don't think he did. I think, like many fuckers throughout history, I think he lived... Uh, a relatively happy life after his... Like all those people Trump just pardoned are going to live a happy life afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah, there's no there's no justice in the world. But... Of course not. <laughs> but back to the film. So, um, yeah, we were talking a little bit about the music, and that's definitely one of the really strong highlights in this movie. Again, I don't know if the version I watched... I couldn't really find a ton of information about the music to this in my very brief research that I did, but... I know there's been plenty of different versions of the music for this. Yeah, I when I watched your link last night, and then I watched the link tonight, or my version tonight. There was a there was a second version that I found last night, and its music was completely different. And oh wow, looks like it was dubbed over. So I assume that both versions that I watched are the correct music. Oh, okay, so yeah, and the one I had was from Kino Lobar. I had the the Blu-ray, so. I'm sure that's the closest to the original that they've, that they've got, but... Yeah, and, um... I was gonna say, I wonder what it would have been like when we went to go see it at the Rio, because we, we were gonna go see it right before the lockdown happened with a live band. Yeah, so that would have been really cool. I, I really wish we could have could have seen that. The, the first lockdown. Yeah, the first lockdown. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, months and months of practice on that part. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Right now, I could pick out... They had a trumpet, they had a trombone, they had, I think, maybe a tuba in there. There's a standing bass, there's obviously a piano. And I don't know what they would have... They probably would have used a standing piano. Clarinets, oboe... I don't think there was a flute. Do you remember the scene when Cesare... I, I, I'm going to constantly... Cesare. Cesare, thank you. <laughs> it's Italian. Um, do you remember the scene when he... When um, Caligari sends him to go get Jane... Yep. Uh, right when he turns and he has that really, you know, scary-looking, excited, kind of murderous face, yep. the music kind of turns into, like, a weird... I don't even know what kind of music it is. But it's, like, 
it almost sounds like a flute or something like that and like almost um what are those things called when you like tap on the little a piccolo uh, maybe a piccolo i mean i'm not sure i don't think it was a piccolo but yeah and they tap on those little keys with their little uh <laughs> oh there was a vibraphone maybe i think there might have been a vibraphone in there yeah it's a very odd piece of music it wasn't my favorite of the the musical choices but i thought that scene was amazing just um conrad voigt i think it's fight i can't i never know how to say that last name and it's the same as ozyman yeah ozyman diaz's last name's but just the way he like he, he's creeping along like the side going in, up to her room i thought a lot of that stuff was some beautiful imagery and Again, very reminiscent of Tim Burton stuff. I tried to, ma- I made a men- mental note to listen for any themes or recurring pieces of music with some of the characters, and I, I don't think I could find anything. I don't think so either. Or I, I at least, I or at least I forgot about it after a while because I was actually paying attention again a second time. So I probably need again. This is why I'm saying multiple viewings are needed for this. Yeah, I I, I saw it once uh, back in 2016, I think it was, and then I saw it two times for this but yeah i definitely feel like i need to see it more to really get a grasp on it. i wish i would have had time to watch it more but i also wouldn't read any film studies or watch any film studies off this because i'd rather give get my own assessments not all assessments but i'd rather come to my own conclusions yeah they had a documentary a 52 minute documentary on this disc and i watched most of it <laughs> but oddly enough they only really started talking about the film in like maybe the last 20 minutes or so and so i didn't really hear a ton of what they had to say about it but they're talking a lot about just history of silent film okay. and um, where germany was at the time so a lot of behind the scenes stuff Warren. that's fine but you should also there's nothing wrong with forwarding that stuff like we're doing but you gotta like devote a lot of time with the film itself as well yeah yeah a lot of it was like specialists who'd yeah, been deep into this stuff for a very long time yeah, it really made me want to jump back into kind of looking at some of this stuff because I had a little bit of a buzz in 2016. That's when I watched Nosferatu again, and then I watched this. And I was like, oh, man, like, I really want to get into, like, checking out some more expressionist film. And I just fell off completely and, and I've never gone back until now. Yeah, besides some of the music, which I thought was pretty excellent in this, the other super standout thing for me is the set design. I don't know how to describe it. I guess the only way to describe it is kind of expressionistic. Boy, oh boy, howdy. Yeah, and apparently it was like... Because expressionism had existed in just like paintings and that kind of stuff before it really got transported to film around this time. So they like brought in someone who had been kind of doing those paintings for a long time and he designed all the sets for them. So really, really cool stuff. Yeah, there was a... There are set designer credits. I sort of remember their names, but not off by <laughs> heart. Yeah, I, I, didn't even, I didn't write it down or anything like that. I just... Again, I'm sorry, folks. I, I wish I would have had more time for this, but I'm just kind of taking it by the fly, you know. <laughs> I don't even know if we should just keep going because I just I feel as we're doing a disservice to this film. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like we're doing a disservice to it, but <laughs> I, I wish I could have had the time to, or that I will have the time, but I don't. I don't think I will. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, uh, all I'm gonna say is, anybody who's waiting for 2021 to happen, what are you expecting? What are you honestly expecting? Well, I'm expecting to finally uh, get past all this COVID stuff. I don't, that, no, that mutation's coming and it's going to hit us all again. <laughs> I'm sick of everybody just thinking that everything is fine. It's not. Just think 
again, that's that was my whole point with this, is look a hundred years in the past, they were dealing with the same stuff that we're dealing with now. And two years ago, we, we wouldn't have thought anything of it, you know? Spanish flu was in the past, everyone forgotten about it. Everyone forgot about the Palmer riots, you know? What else do I got here? I can at least throw out these other facts I got for you. Um, so over our, with our friends in Ireland, a rather infamous group oh, no. called the Royal Irish Constabulatory was put in place in 1920, popularly known as the Black and Tans. Yeah, and they were the British police force coming in to get control over those rowdy Irishmen. And uh, many of them were vets from World War I who came back, of course, with PTSD, came back completely fucked up, and they just ran ravage over the country and just uh, were a brutal kind of force over them. So <laughs> I wrote in my notes another piece of ACAB through the ages. So <laughs> again, you're never going to get police who aren't going to be fuck-ups. It's just the nature of police forces. But speaking of Ireland, the separation of Ireland from southern and northern took place in 1920. There was lots of unrest at the time, again, because the Brits were really cracking the whip on them. And so uh, the United Kingdom, to kind of ease the tensions, said, okay, we'll, we'll give you guys more government control over your regions if you accept kind of, um, what's the word, greater, like, levy to the crown. Northern Ireland accepted and Southern Ireland did not, so that's when that breach happened. But also in 1920, the famous revolutionary Pancho Villa finally surrendered and the Mexican Revolution came to a close. So again, 100 years ago, all these huge things happening. I wonder how they're going to look at 2020, 100 years from now. But some famous people born in 1920, we had Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, Patrick Troughton, who played the second doctor, Yul Brenner, Carter Montalban, Forrest Kelly and James Doohan, Frederick Fellini, Jack Palance, Toshiro Mifune, who we're going to be seeing uh, later in 2020 when we get to the Hidden Fortress. So he was a big Kurosawa regular. Ray Harryhausen was born in 1920s, as well as Frank Herbert, Mario Puzo, Saul Bass, a famed title sequence creator for Alfred Hitchcock, and also P.D. James, who wrote Children of Men. Oh, also in 1920, Agatha Christie first introduced Hercule Poirot to the world with her debut novel, The Mysterious Affair at Styles. And our old buddy H.P. Lovecraft had published nine short stories that year, including From Beyond and The Cats of Ulthar? I never had to pronounce that one. <laughs> oh, the handheld dryer was invented in 1920. Commercial radio transmitters began operating around the globe in that year, and so personal radios started being sold worldwide. And um, for films, the first Zorro film was put out with The Mark of Zorro. The first adaptation of Pollyanna was put out and also another German film, The Golem, as I already mentioned here, which was another one that I was going to pick, either that or Kevin Dr. Caligari. Yeah, I think that's all I wrote for 1920 News, but again, that Spanish flu had ravaged Europe, and I think it took maybe like 700,000 people over here in North America, millions plus for Europe, so I mean, that, that came and went, and everyone forgot about it. I don't think COVID's going to be any different. Oh, yeah. People will just forget about it and say, oh, what happened? Nobody no, will remember no, 2020. No. Like, oh, yeah, 2020 was a good year. No, you know, no, no, no. Everybody, <laughs> everybody, what am I saying? Sorry. Every, everybody says this year sucked. This year sucked. This year sucked. It's like, what year doesn't suck for you guys? Well, I just want to point out, because everyone's always talking about how this is like such a uniquely terrible year. And this is like humanity's never seen anything like this. That's just people forgetting the past again. hundred years, they're dealing with the same things we're dealing with now. I know, you know, the whole fetishization of 80s. 
like I said last time, but yeah, people just forget. Oh, yes. That's ignorance for you. You know why we still have... Oh, boy, yeah. You know why we still have these racial problems? Because everybody's forgetting. Just everybody forgets. Oh, well, yeah. That's probably really controversial for me to say, but we're, we're still having all these problems because people are forgetting. How many people during the uh, 2000s and the 90s were like, oh, we're past those racial problems? No, we're not. Yeah, it's... Brianna Taylor. That's all. It's just Brianna Taylor, her name. All the, f like, the, the farmers right now of India. All the Chinese people here and everywhere else being racially profiled and targeted just because it started, like, Corona started. It doesn't matter where it started. It still would have, no matter who it would have came from, people would have been still racist to them. Like, it's just sickening. It's, it's, uh, it sickens me. <laughs> That's that's humanity, you know. I mean, maybe one day we'll evolve past it and become something else. But, but anyway, let's let's get away from this. What else? What else can we do here tonight? Then, if Cabinet Doctor Kilgari will put off for until we can actually do a real. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I'm really sorry about that. But I just feel it's fair. I I completely understand where you're coming from. I I felt a similar way. I I don't I don't feel right about this. <laughs> just yeah, it's a great film. I I I do feel like I'm very underprepared to uh talk about it but i just wanted to get it out for new year's but i know you did but we can't do it we just we would be doing a disservice to it if this didn't happen yeah but i guess we'll just talk about it a little bit more just between us so what was your overall what, what was your overall thoughts with it? you said you're feeling it i loved it i i honestly loved it and the ending was great maybe not great but i just didn't see it coming and honestly with the broken not broken but with the limited subtitles i had mm -hmm. with the auto-generated subtitles it was i i i completely got it like i i'm gonna rant i'm gonna make a big rant sure but i understand this is gonna go nowhere <laughs> i know where i'm just ranting to rant blind people are always like shafted yeah i honestly don't know how a blind person could experience this yeah it'd be completely lost to them other than music. Music is literally, and sound effects are maybe the only way of of experiencing this. And, I don't know, like, it's just because it just one of my mentors is, is visually impaired, and I'm always trying to think of him. I'm always trying to think of, like, if I write stuff, I always have to keep in mind how, how can my, how can vis visually impaired people, you know, enjoy this? Audiobooks. Because they can't see. But even then, it's like, with, especially with animation, and they always are like, oh, this is a visual experience. And I'm like, but how, how can a person visually impaired experience this without descriptive video? It'll never be the same. That's, that's the, I'll tell you this, though. This is kind of a cool thing. Um, yeah, go ahead. I follow a podcast, LSG Media, and in one of our groups, there's someone who I think has been fairly recently, um, like, lost most of his sight, become legally blind. I, I yep. get. I, I haven't asked the full details, but I get the sense that it's only been maybe in the past like five years or so. Yeah. And um, he was saying that not only does he have his girlfriend who will, like help a lot in describing what's going on, but he's he was saying that listening to the podcast because the LSG podcast, um, they do very in, in depth scene by scenes. At least they used yep. to do more in depth, or at least a lot of times their episodes would go two hours plus, sometimes into three hour plus. And so he was saying how much he appreciated having that kind of depth, depthful look at something that he can't see. And so, I mean, that's that's one thing that podcasts can do for folks who, again, can't visually experience him in the same way that we can. But 
a silent film like this, it, it would just never really be the same. Yeah. Because this movie does, you know, does well. I mean, it's, it's visually stunning. And I, I love all the weird zooms. There's a really cool thing they did when um, they were going through Caligari's uh, reading material. And they saw that, um, like, it would, like, zoom in on one side of the frame and then zoom out on the other. And they did it a couple times. How could you really describe that to someone who couldn't see it, you know? Yeah, one of the one of the things I liked about that was that we had a flashback. And I love how we transitioned into that flashback. Yeah, it was super cool. I never seen anything like that. Film from 1920s still doing things that I've never seen copied. I mean, that's really cool. Yeah, so my my rant, yeah, I'm sorry, but my rant has no meaning, but Oh, it's super sad. You know, it's 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 just one of the unfortunate things that you kind of lose out on. But again, that's it's nice to have people who can they can kind of live vicariously through the love of others. I mean, I I get that sense from a lot of people who have that kind of issue, but I, I guess so. I just I guess my emotions aren't in the right place. No, I I, I get you. It's it's real sad to think about that. I I couldn't imagine losing my sight because I just I have such a love for for that kind of stuff really hurt to, to lose it. Something like Suspiria as well, I mean, I feel like you're it's less than half the experience if you can't see it. Yeah. Enter the Void, too. <laughs> oh. Good grief. And, of course, there's audio-impaired people. Mm-hmm. Or hearing-impaired people, excuse me. They got it rough as well, but I think they could understand this film, because there's text to read, so that's fine. Yeah, I also thought some of the text stuff was really cool in this. Like, I liked, at one point, um, Caligari gave his card to someone, and they had, yes. like, that really cool-looking... I was like, oh, that's that's fun. Really playing with the... Uh, it almost felt like almost comic booky. some of the uh, ways that they did this stuff. I guess it did. Um, maybe, maybe one day I'll just... One day soon, maybe next year, maybe not, I'll do um, a little mini-series on silent film. We can cover Metropolis, we can cover um, The Golem, we can cover this one, do scene-by-scenes for all of them. So I'd love to cover it at some point soon, but yeah, just, <laughs> this a little bit of a fuck-up. <laughs> oh, I know what we could talk about. So, so was it Saturday night? I was in a... Was on, I was on watching cable, and I saw Pacific Rim on there, and it was only like 15 minutes after it started, so I was like, yeah, I'll watch that, and... Yeah, I forgot how great of a movie... I mean, I didn't forget, but it's like, yeah, I haven't watched this in a while, and it still holds up. Like, really good. Yeah, Pacific Rim's definitely still good. When that sequel came out, we went to go see it, and I was so disheartened by it that I went back and rewatched the original. And I was like, oh, man. Oh, man, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know... I don't know if we do Pacific Rim first, or we just do Uprising. Because that's... I want to do that as a <laughs> commentary. <laughs> Yeah, we could do either or. I mean, I don't really, I don't really know if there's much of a connection to worry about which order. Okay, well, yeah, I'm just gonna. When do you have to go to bed? Um, I guess there's no real concern. Okay. Because I'm just gonna throw a hail mary out there and just say. <laughs> you want to do it? Out, out of out of light, just right now. Would you want to just like watch Rising, and complain? Yeah, I mean, I guess we could. I'll go grab some weed, but. <laughs> let's do it get right now like let's just sure we got nothing else better to do so yeah save the evening after that uh yeah i feel bad about that but <sighs> i do as well 
Oh, yeah, one of the other things was that I, I have this, like... I'm probably going to spoil myself from this, but I have literally on my, like, sitting... Not sitting, but... At the ready, I have a video of, of James Rolfe talking about Dr. Ca the cabinet of Dr. Caligari for the 100th anniversary and his take of it, which is like, oh, man, that would be interesting to watch. Oh, I, oh, I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, you know, I just recently... Uh, not recently, but as of February 26th, he, like, released... Oh, wow, okay, fair enough. Oh, okay, huh, to check that out. That's my... Uh, yeah, you go ahead. Oh, yeah, you haven't started AC Origins yet, have you? AC Origins... Assassin's Creed Origins. I started playing it a little bit, but not very much. Have fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked running around on a, a camel's back. You know, I mean, that was kind of fun. Never rode on a camel in a game before. I honestly don't know whether or not a camel is faster than a horse, because I immediately switched to a horse. That's because I was going to use a camel for desert, and I completely forgot about that. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I thought the controls were a little bit awkward with the running around on it, though. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, if you want, um, I switched immediately. So the controls on the on the game itself, where you're using A to parkour, I immediately switched to. I read the controls and I was like, nope. And then I switched to the other controls, so the alternative controls, not the default, because that's more resemblant of what an Assassin's Creed game controller looks like mm. and layout is presented as. So I went with that one instead, and I do not. I, I literally do not have any problem with that. I also highly recommend, I think it came with it, but I highly recommend the tour mode or the discovery tour. Uh, it makes, it's it's a lot of fun, honestly. Like, you'll, you'll know what I mean. I think it's in the menu there, and it actually is almost a documentary of Ubisoft creating the game. Oh, wow. Like, I highly recommend you look it up. It's, or go into it. It's, it might be a little tedious, <laughs> but you can learn all, like, the minute facts that they had to take into account of making this world yeah let's check that out if i if i really get into the game i should say i'll check that out i think you probably will get into the game but that's just me yeah i'm, I'm at the point where i just want to delete um black ops 4 off my console because please do i'll sit down and i'll be like okay what kind of game do i want to play and then i'll be like uh do i really feel like playing a story game like all the games i have have story like, I have to have more investment. I'll just play Black Ops 4 because I don't have to have much investment. And it just... <sighs> it completely distracts me from playing anything else. It's driving me crazy. Please delete Black Ops yeah. 4. <laughs> but I just... Sometimes I just don't feel like sitting down to watch a movie while I'm playing a game, you know? That is the... I've just never been that kind of gamer. That's fine. That's, that's actually why I really want to get the Nintendo Switch. Because I really feel like Nintendo has always been kind of my, um, a little bit more of my alley. Less less story focus, more gameplay focus. So, I, I really want to get that, but anyway. <laughs> or at least there's more story through gameplay. Yeah, yeah, you don't really just stop for ten minutes for a cutscene, you know? When I was a kid, or growing up, I always skipped cutscenes. So, uh, Bioshock was the only game that I wouldn't skip them. For the longest time, <laughs> I'd say up until maybe the last, yeah, the very ending is there a lot of cutscenes, but most of the cutscenes in Origins are no more than two minutes. That's good. That's good. I don't. I don't know. I. I can't. I. I just. I sit through the story because I do want to. I am invested in the story, or at least I try to see what the story is like. Yeah, and that's sometimes I come to a game really looking to get into the story. 
like when I heard about Hellblade, I heard how like unique and moving it was, and so I, I sat down, you know, like prepped to really get into it. Every time I played, I had my headphones on. But most of the time when I want to play a game, it's just kind of, I just want to sit back and relax and just kind of scroll through, you know? So everybody, he's a gamer who cannot play anything by Hideo Kojima or David Cage. I mean, yeah, again, I played, um, I think it was, I don't know what Metal Gear Solid game it was. It was on my PS2. And yeah, I found it so tedious. I just kept, I don't, lo- I don't love stealth games. I'm not, I'm not sure it might have been Snake Eater. I don't remember which one. I remember it was um, visually really stunning at the time, but... It was three. Yeah, I was going to say four, but I don't know if that's right or not. I Four was PS4. Okay, then yeah. All right, sorry, sorry, PS3. Sorry, PS3. Then yeah, it might have been. It's actually right around the start of PS3, like 2008 or nine. Yeah, I don't remember which one, but I remember... I could look that one up. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, most of the time I just... that That's again why I always loved nintendo because you can just pop it on it's kind of repetitive in a way but i don't know it's just it's fun to play oh and don't don't play don't nods life is strange yeah i've never had any well that's a choose oh and and same with unless you care like maybe if you want to play some old i know they're still around for reasons but if you want to play some old what's that company called Telltale. Uh, if you want to play some Telltale's series, go ahead. It's multiple choice gameplay, so I've tried and um, wasn't a fan. Yeah, point and click games. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I wanted to play Back to the Future. I watched the playthrough of it. It's okay. Yeah, I think it was a Game of Thrones one that I played, and I played like I think two chapters. Or, I think there were chapters they call it. Maybe it was episodes. Yeah. Whatever. I think episodes, yeah. Yeah, and I just was like, God, there's there's, it, there's nothing really to this. I don't get the appeal. <laughs> but it, it felt like it was really more about the story than any sort of gameplay. So, I mean, that's... Yeah, those are pure story and not gameplay. Yeah, and so, I, again, it's just not for me. As they say, walking simulator. Yeah, that's what it felt like. It felt like I was just moving the story along by pressing buttons rather than just sitting and watching it. <laughs> Death Stranding is literally a walking simulator, and there's nothing wrong with that. I will one day play that game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about what you're coming to the game for, you know? Yeah, for you and me, it's certainly more action-y, but I have no problem with a story. I, I will sit down and watch a story. Yeah. I guess my recommendation is to stay away from Watch Dogs. Maybe play Watch Dogs 2, but not Watch Dogs 1. Uh, I'd also recommend Doom. That was a very fun game. Yep. Maybe Mafia 3... Maybe Mafia, uh, Mafia, the series, just because it's heavily story. It's not like I. There's nothing wrong with the story. It's just like for story elements. Yeah, I think there's a lot of cutscenes. So maybe skip that one. Mm. I'm just looking at my gameplay or games. Uh, maybe the Metro series you could go with. I haven't played Exodus yet, so yeah, I enjoyed the first one. Oh, there you go. Yeah, See. I never. I didn't finish it, but I, I enjoyed it. I thought the gameplay was a little bit clunky, but that that whole. Boy, the 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 behind the scenes of that game is is rough. Oh, really? And uh, pretty bad for the yeah. No, the, the the company making it barely had any like money, and were working in very like poor, like really poor work environments. Oh. Yeah, I heard that once you get to the sequel, things really pick up, and so I was like, okay, I really want to get to the sequel because I like a lot of the elements of the game, 
but just the gameplay was just kind of off-putting at times because it was just so clunky. Yeah, Last Light is certainly what they wanted to do, and I think Exodus is what they can do with the proper equipment. Mm. I haven't looked behind the scenes of if Deep Silver were much better uh, when making Exodus, and they had much more you know modern equipment and not piss poor working environments. Because if that's the case, it's like that's if that's what they can do. Holy crap, they're a studio to watch out for. Oh no, and I'll just say so we can finally get to this movie here. <laughs> but um, yeah. the reason I ended up getting Assassin's Creed Origins is because I was looking up casual not high investment games I like that's what I typed into the internet <laughs> the internet portals I guess reddit would have something like that and um, one of the top ones that just kept coming up because a lot of them were just kind of like games that had no real progression to them they were just like puzzle games or things like that that I wanted something that would progress over time and it wouldn't just be like you're racking up points you know yes yeah, I'm an arcade shooter yeah arcade that's that's more what I wanted to say but this one kept coming up. People kept being like, just play Assassin's Creed Origins. You can, if you want to be a part of the story, you can. Or you can just go around and do side missions and just enjoy the epic scale of the world. And so I was like, okay, okay, maybe this is kind of what I'm looking for. And then the next, maybe like two days later, it popped up on sale for, I think, 80% off. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll get it then. 15 bucks, sure. Don't ever play anything by CD Projekt Red. <laughs> I shouldn't play Cyberpunk 2077. Well, I mean, you can't right now, but I mean, like, Witcher 3 is cutscenes galore. I'm not, I'm not knocking the, the gameplay or, or how, like, good the game is. I'm just saying, like, for you, like, again, case-by-case case basis, everybody, for his case, he doesn't like cutscenes, so in that case yeah, don't play Cyber- or Cyberpunk and or Witcher 3, excuse me. Well, that's that's see, that's again, the thing is sometimes I really do love it. My favorite game, Bioshock, I mean, it's got a ton of them in there. They're pretty brief when they show up, but there is a ton of them and I love all the story stuff in that. Yeah, but that's a very, like, thinking man's game. Yeah, and it's uh, sometimes it's just about the mood you're in. This is true. I mean, hey, Go back to Mad Max since that's pure gameplay and not even like Just Cause. Yeah, Mad Max, there's some story stuff, but what I like about that is it, I feel like it intermixed the gameplay with the story a little bit more. Yeah, I'd say that too. You're just sitting and waiting for the cutscene to end to play again. Uh, I'd also go with maybe like Rage 2. That's pure gameplay, although it's bugged on, on my uh, system, so. I hate it. Tread carefully. I hated Rage 1 so much. Oh, yeah, right. What am I saying? I forgot about that. We already had this conversation before. Never mind. Ignore. Don't play Rage 2. Uh, but do play... Do try maybe Just Cause 3 and then play Just Cause 4. Yeah, I, mean, I think I played one of those. I don't remember which one. Might have been an early one. One or two, maybe. Yeah, the same... The Avalanche Studios is the same game studio that made Mad Max and uh, Rage Ooh, 2. Oh, there you go. Oh, I didn't realize that they... Yeah, they're more... Did they make Rage 1 as well? No, that was id Software completely, but then when id was trying to... Or when the Bethesda was trying to get Rage 2 to come out because they announced a sequel for some stupid reason, they are like, oh yeah, we're going to need a studio to help us with this because I think id was putting out Doom 2016 and then also we're making Doom Eternal. Mm. And so they are like, oh, we need another studio to help us. And so they requested Avalanche Studios to help out. So they took some... When I say assets, I mean, like, they took some ideas from Mad Max and threw it all in there, or threw some of it in there. 
And so there's it's a mix of like Mad Max with Doom. Well, that tempts me a little bit more because the driving stuff was some of my favorite stuff in Rage. But, uh, yeah, there's barely any driving because oh. once you hit like a certain level, you actually get this hovercraft that you could get for free, and oh. yeah, you never really need it. Although they have a they ha- honestly they have a cool bike called the Raptor that looks literally like Canada's bike from Akira. What? What? When are they going to make a game so, of that? It's not. Oh, I'm. <laughs> uh, I'd want it to just be. Good grief! What I want to know. I'd only want it maybe as either a before, during, or after the events of that game of that of that story. I mean, like from the comic perspective. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the movie perspective. I'm assuming that they do. But comic. it follows a, but a separate cast of characters, and none of them are following our main leads. Just. Do like a rebellion, the rebellion characters. Yeah, you know, I, it's kind of and a sabotage game. I can't really think of a lot of games that are just straight up adaptations. I mean, I guess The Witcher, but I don't know how close that is. But there was a Warriors game. Yep, I played it. <laughs> I played it. I liked it. There was a Scarface game. I played that one too. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think there was a Godfather one that I played too. Oh yeah, there was a Godfather one. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I like those adaptation ones. I never really thought about it, but it's too bad I got rid of so many of my PS2 games. I don't know what I was thinking. We made it. We made a poor choice. We should have never. I should have never gotten an Xbox, original Xbox, and you shouldn't have gotten rid of your PS2. Yeah, and I I traded them for pennies on the dollar too. That's the worst part. I traded them all in for nothing. <laughs> well. You know what this means? We have to wait for the PS2 Mini to come out. Oh, that'd be awesome. I was, I'm was i really hoping that comes out one day. It's going to happen. I it, They already did the PS1. I don't know how the PS1 Mini did, like, sales-wise. I heard it was terrible. Okay, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. I don't know. Oh, not the sales, but I heard the machine itself was pretty poor. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. Yeah. So I don't know what the sales was. Yep, so fun things to come in the future, folks. So. Oh, plenty. <laughs> Good night, guys. Peace.